welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. So we're in a series on Ephesians. We started this series, if you haven't been with us, because we believe this book is essential for what it means to be the church, what it means to be a church in this moment of crisis, in this moment of time. Uh, We need to rebuild our lives around the words of the Bible and Scripture. We believe we're being formed in the image of culture and society, and therefore we need counterformation. And the Bible is such an important way of counterforming our lives to the powers and rulers of authority, the demonic forces, the spiritual forces, the, the powerful forces of formation like social media, media, and entertainment that we live in. So we are counterforming ourselves into the image of Christ, rediscovering what it means to be human. Last week, we started in Ephesians chapter 2. I'm going to read this again, and we're going to look at one verse in addition. So if you have a Bible, go to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. It says this, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. And in case you don't know who he's talking to, he's talking to you. Um, in which you were, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving wrath. Who is he talking to? You. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy and made us alive, made us alive in Christ when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. Amen. Who is he talking to? You. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God and not by works so that no one can boast. And we're going to look at this verse today. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. The word of the Lord. So last week we talked about this. We have a problem. We were dead. Problem number one is you're dead. Problem number two is you're enslaved to your desires, gratifying the desires of your flesh, craving the things that you know are wrong. That is a problem. The third thing is that you deserved wrath. You deserved to be punished justly for your crimes. How does that feel? That feels really bad. But there's a solution, and the solution comes when Jesus, God, in love, rather than pouring out his wrath on us, chooses to act in our behalf to free us from the wrath, the slavery, and our death. And through Christ, through death on the cross, gives us grace, the power to accomplish what we couldn't accomplish through our own strength. That's the solution. The response is faith. To believe what has happened in history, what is happening through faith, and to live in response. You guys good? This is last week. But I just want to make a sub-note that the problem with the things of the flesh in the world is not just neutral things we desire. It's actually corrupted by powers and principalities, spiritual realities opposing the way of God. 
demons, systems, impersonal and personal beings exist in this realm that is unseen, that opposes God's way of life, which is why we pray and partner with Jesus and say, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We assume there are places like right now in Ukraine and Russia where his kingdom is not yet fully realized because theaters are being bombed and lies are being spread and people are being hated and there's division like never before. And our task is to recognize there are no enemies in the kingdom. They're all children of God and we need unity and peace and we work with God to see that established on earth. Are you guys good? Did I lose any of you? This section, you look a little dull. Just kidding. That's just me. Just kidding. You look really good, actually. So grateful to see your smiles these days. It's been 10 months since we've been gathering again and about a month without masks. Praise the Lord. I'm not going to take this for granted. I'm not going to take it for granted. I was like feeling a little sick and I was sitting down. I was just feeling tired and I was like, no, 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 no. This is, the, this is where you, you bring everything in weakness. You bring everything. I see my buddy Charlie up here and I know Charlie's story and I'm watching him lead us in worship. And I'm like, if you know Charlie's story, if you knew Charlie's story, you'd be right up here next to him. And that's not to declare that worshiping up in front is better, but I do think there's something about undignified worship. We need to break free from our little coffee holding mo- moments. Like, I, I, I would, but I got my coffee. <laughs> There's this seats right here. We'll walk around and come up. I prefer a more contemplative, I'm an introvert. Great. Well, we don't spend all of the week together. You get an hour and a half once a week to not be an introvert and another 166 hours to be an introvert. Please don't use that excuse. Maybe God wants to talk about your worship. You're like, Darren, there's a surfboard on stage. <laughs> Again, I said worship. Let's go. Um, so there's two phrases we're going to talk about, and I'll go quickly through this. Uh, we are God's handiwork, and we are created for good works. So there's this Greek word, handiwork, which we'll get to in a second, but it's borrowed from Hebrew. Paul takes this word that has a definition and a phrase in in Greek, but it has deep connections to the Hebrew scriptures. In fact, it's found in the first verse of the Bible. So if you have a Bible, go to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Let's go there together. Um, And we're going to look at this idea. So remember, Paul is going to talk about your identity over and over again, who you are in Christ, but not to just stay in this place, but to now live and operate out of this place. In this particular verse, verse 10, is all about that because this Hebrew word has radical implications for us today. Genesis 1, it says this, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Then God said, and let there be light and there was light. But verse 1, it says, in the beginning, God barah. Say barah. Barah. So right away, there's this word that's never used to describe what happens when humans create something. It's reserved strictly and solely for what happens when God creates something. Barah. Barah. God, barah. And he speaks. 
and he initiates creation and all the things that will happen. God speaks and stars are made. Black holes were created. Angelic beings are formed. God speaks in galaxies, solar systems, moons, and gravity are formed. God speaks and there's a duckbill platypus. A, a single cell or, uh, organism, a red tail hawk. God speaks and there's volcanoes and sunsets and rivers and mosquitoes. Gosh, why mosquitoes? Literally, there's nothing good about mosquitoes. Bees, also very dangerous for those of us that are allergic. Flowers, olive trees, rose gardens. God speaks and he creates cats. No, dogs. <laughs> Faith, did you mess this up? Just kidding. Amanda. No, God, God created cats. I'll, I'll concede. Obviously, the lesser of species. But anyway, so bara, bara is the explosive, majestic, raw, creative energy and power to form in Hebrew by cutting, to cut or to carve out. Carve out. Sorry, that's my bad. I sent that. It's my misspelling. Um, so, so it's this like to, it's like a sculptor taking a block of marble. Bara is this raw energy to form creation. This, this will be used throughout the whole Bible to describe this, this power of God in creating, which brings me to surfboards. Um, this is an almond surfboard from Almond Surfboards. God bless almond surfboards. We have some of the people that work there that go to our church, the owner. Um, and and I, I, I got this made for me uh, in 2020. I called the owner of Almond, and I was just, he's like, I was asking questions. He's like, hey, I wrote an article on this. Why don't you read the article before we talk? So I did. Um, and and he, he, I was asking like, hey, what's like the, the board that most dads need to just have fun and catch waves? And he, he made this one for me. So it's like when you're not trained anymore in, in, the, in the condition of surfing, uh, you get a little bit bigger board that you can, you can have fun on. But so what, I don't know if you know this, but surfboards don't start like this. Let me show you what it looks like. I think I have a picture most surfboards start with something like this. Do we have it? Um, let me see. I, I sent it in an email. Let's see if he got that. And it is five, four, three. I'll describe it to you. It's a big piece of foam. And just imagine a big old block of foam, various forms of, of foam. Um, let me know if it pops up there. And I like foam, 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 foam. But it starts with foam. <laughs> No, nothing? Okay. So it will start, most will start with a block, but now, nowadays you can get a blank foam uh, there. So it start. it looks like this. And, and they'll put a, a line down the middle. Uh, what's it called, Zach? Right? A stringer, yeah. So it's a stringer. And then they put it together and they, 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 they glue it. And then eventually what happens is they use pieces of fiberglass cloth after they cut and sand. And they lay it over and they use multiple coats of resin. And it's a very meticulous process. They, they get my, my weight, my height, dimensions, and they, 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 they fashion this. They carve this into uh, uh, this. And what do you see up here? Yep, what else do you see? Fins, what else? What else do you see? See, say it loud. I was just, I'm curious where your mind goes when you see a surfboard. What? Pretty? Symmetry? Surf stand. Yeah, okay. That's good. Being technical. I love it. 
smooth, adventure, delight, hobby, what? Brand? The brand, yep. Money. Yeah, what I see is a piece of art. I see beauty. I see a craftsman hand. I see um, time, <laughs> like leisure time, which is so rare these days with two kids. I see, uh, I look at this and I see my past when I lived on 39th Street in Newport and surfed every single day of my life. Yeah, I see regret. No, I don't see regret. I see regret. <laughs> I'm just kidding. So surfboards, I mean, when you see the process, which we don't have all the pictures, but like to take this from foam to make it this, it's a work of art. This is a work of art, but not just a work of art. It has a purpose, right? And this is what I want you to catch. Surfboards are both beautiful and functional. Um, they're for enjoyment but also equipment, right? They have form and function, beauty and purpose. And I think this is what Barah gets to in the next part, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. So the first idea is Barah is this creative raw, like cutting out of stone, like power of galaxies, but also power of animals. But Barah goes on, it says in verse um, 26, same chapter, it says, then God said, let us make mankind in our image and our likeness so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Check this out. So God barah, he barahed mankind in his own image. And in his image, he barahed them, male and female. He barahed them. There it is again, three times. God's creative Power, his majestic, explosive, unique, only what God can do, not what humans can do with surfboards, but only what God can do with creation. He, he forms and fashions and it creates humanity in his image. Bra has the power to imprint identity onto humanity. So here we are, male and female, made in the image of God, shaped from God's divine, creative, intentional purpose. And the rest of scripture will try to get us back to this moment in scripture, Genesis 1 and 2, where God, his ideal environment and reality is we, us living in perfect, loving relationship with God, each other and ourselves. Living in this, this space fashioned by God, not just living with this image bearer weight of identity that we as humans, by being human, are, are reflecting the image of God. Just the fact that we're here makes us image bearers. But with this identity comes not just uh, identity in Christ, it comes with a purpose. When God barahs us, it comes with a function. It comes with a mission. What scholars say in Genesis 1, 26 to 27 or 28 is the dominion mandate. We are called to rule and subdue. We are fashioned image bearers to rule and subdue, to cultivate, steward, and, and partner with God in shaping the rest of creation to look like what it looks like in the Garden of Eden. Scholars will say humans 
the human mandate, the dominion, dominion mandate, was to take the resources of Eden and spread it to the rest of the earth. Heaven on earth. Heaven, not just an unseen spiritual realm, but very much physical reality. God's desire and intentions and purposes with us wherever we go. This is what it means to be human. This is, what is, this is what it means for you to be fully yourself in Christ. We'll get to that in a second. But the origin story, God's desire, listen to this, his vision, his longings for all of creation is for humanity to live in its image, its rightful status as representatives of God wherever they go on earth. Fueled with power through relationship to extend Eden, the garden, the way of life that God intended to the rest of creation. How are we doing? You guys all right with that? So we are image bearers. We are called to steward creation in partnership with God so that we can bring about God's desires and intentions wherever he goes. This word bara ties us to Genesis 1 and 2. Now, the uh, Greek counterpart is the word poema. Can you say poema? It's where we get the word poem, handiwork. If you have a Bible, Romans chapter 1, I want you to see how this is used in Romans chapter 1, verse 20. Romans 1, verse 20. It says this, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities... His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been poema made so that people are without excuse. So here Paul will argue to the Roman church that God's invisible qualities seen in creation are... It's cool, Nessa, I can hear you walking out. So you're fine. <laughs> oh, that's so bad. Sorry to call you out. It's just like... Doesn't help. I love you, Anessa. Oh. <laughs> poema. Poema is, is this, that God, God the, the fact that you can look out and see the Grand Canyon, you can see a sunset, you can see um, the beauty of the ocean, you can see the complexity of the human eye, you can see the complexity of all of life and the way that the specific uh, feet, the distance between we are from the sun, if we were a foot closer to the sun, we'd burn up. If we were a, a, a foot further away, we'd freeze to death. Like this, those qu invisible qualities that God made, poema, uh, bring testimony to all of creation. So once again, you see this poema is connected to bara, this explosive, majestic, raw power. Only The only thing God can possibly do. It's a word reserved for what God can do. But then he says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, that you are, it says, it says, for we are God's poema, created in Christ Jesus to do good work. So now Paul takes this idea of God's majestic, raw, creative power that speaks the world into existence, that imprints his identity into humanity. Only what God can create, he uses that phrase, that word, that concept to describe the redemptive work of God in humanity. 
handiwork. Poema is the fine, sculpting, artistic, creative expression of a delicate sculpture being fashioned into art. God used this word for the world and the cosmos, but now you are being sculpted and fashioned into the image bearer God designed you to be. You, another way to say it, are God's masterpiece. Turn to the person next to you and say, I'm a masterpiece. Now actually say it like you believe it. You are God's work of art. You, wow, that was a really hard one. Come back, come back. I'm afraid that Anessa's not going to want to come back in with her shoes. (laughs) She's out. She's like, I'm going. Think about what Paul just said. You were dead. You were a slave to your desires. You were deserving wrath. Now you're his masterpiece. Is this good news? Think of the implications of the Ephesian culture where they believe God's cursed people who were deformed or had imperfections. If they had child defects, they were thrown away and discarded or they were raised as slaves. Generation after generation believed that the gods cursed them with imperfections. Their parents abandoned them. They grew up in a society that says you have no value or worth because you don't look like the standard. You don't have money like the standard. You can't, you're not accomplished. You don't have a job. You don't have family. You don't have beauty. You don't measure up. And Paul says in this subversive letter that your culture and society fashion statues, in God, statues of gods into art. Our God fashions people into works of art. He says the baseline for humanity is God's masterpiece. This is who you are. Now, I want to talk about the implications, but I want, to, I, want to, I want to show you where that Ephesian culture exists today. I know we talked about Hellenism existing here, but there's a, in India, there's, um, they, they have a Hindu culture. And I've been to India five times. And 15 years ago, I was going, you know how photos pop up? And um, 15 years ago, on your phone, 15 years ago, I was in India, it was, it was literally the, a couple days after I was filled with the Holy Spirit in London. I went on this trip. And we had this remarkable event where we preached the gospel to all these people. And hundreds of people got to be baptized in a day. And it was so amazing. I have some pictures I want to show you. So this is, um, this is the lineup. We're in this river um, where all these people go to the next slide, lined up to get baptized. Um, can, you guys can't see it because of this, huh? Someone just get up. If you, you should see these pictures. If you can't see it, just move. Go to the next slide. Go to the next slide. Okay, so this is a Ukrainian pastor that we went with. Um, and we, we all took turns baptizing. There were so many. It was, it was crazy. Go to the next slide. There's Pastor Todd Proctor from Rock Harbor, 15 years younger. Look at that. No wrinkles. We just baptized that woman. Go to the next slide. There, there look at me. Look at me. Look at that. <clears throat> yeah. T- I was the only one with the tank top. I, I came prepared. I got board shorts and a tank top. Just hold this, hold this up here for one minute. So I was 22 years old, and um, I just graduated from college. I was working at Rock Harbor for three months, and I got tired from doing this, baptizing all these people. It was insane, guys, hundreds and hundreds. And here's what they did. Their parents named, um, like this man, actually, I gave him the name John. So, um, but that was the fourth John I named because... They, you, you lose count, you like forget. They, they were named after the Hindu gods. So they carried Hindu gods as a name. 
with the, with, the, with the mindset and worldview where that if you carry that name around, you'll have favor from that deity, right? But uh, most of them were the delete, the untouchables. So most of them had parents who said, name your children cow dung and the gods won't pay attention to them. So we, when we baptized them, gave them a Christian name. So we would go into water, like, and they would wait there waiting for their name. I'm like, your name is John. And they're like, John. And they walk away and like, I'm John. And that's his name. He will forever be. And literally I was like, okay, uh, Lydia. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And I'm like, dude, I don't have my phone. Like what? Give me names. Like John, um, uh, uh, Rebecca, Methuselah. No, no. (laughs) Mephibosheth. I don't know these names. And then after, I'll just finish this story. Afterwards, um, go to the next slide. I got to lead them. There I am in that. I found out that they also um, kept stepping on these things that were like rough. It's, it's also a river where they, they pour the, the, um, the ashes of their, their, their dead. So it's literally the entire river is covered. The floor is covered with these pots that have been in there with ashes. So we're stepping on ashes as we baptize them in Jesus. Isn't that crazy? But I got to lead them in communion. Just You can see the next one. It was such cool. So yeah, so 15 years ago, had this moment where I realized in that moment that we do the same thing today, don't we? Where we carry around these concepts of identity. We might not have the name cow dung, but we've believed other names. We live in this perpetual state of I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy enough. And so our life becomes comparison. Our life becomes competition. Our life becomes proving to the world and God that we are enough. When we think about the implications of, of Paul saying, you are a masterpiece, you are a work of art, we, we have to recognize that until we get that, the next part of the verse won't ever make sense. And I just want to say, I feel the problem with the church today, the problem with the modern church today is we're obsessed with identity because we're so broken by the lies of the enemy. We have been so lied to since we were children and every second we're awake, we scroll through these images that continue to perpetuate the insecurity, the self-doubt, the lies of the enemy that we can't possibly think that, yes, I am a piece of art. Yes, I am God's poem. I'm his masterpiece. Yes, even in my addiction, he is fashioning me into a new image. But instead we say, no, I'm damaged goods. Paul, I get it, but I've been divorced. I've had an affair. I had an abortion. I'm still addicted to pornography. I'm still obsessed with my self-image that I can't help it to be a narcissistic. I'm still addicted to alcohol. I still need substances to go to sleep at night. Yes, but I I get I'm I'm a piece of art, but you don't know my past. And the truth is, I have to remind you that poema is nothing you can possibly do. It's the thing that God does. You can't possibly make a surfboard from foam unless you're a shaper and you follow the YouTube. That's the whole thing. You can't do this yourself. You can't make yourself beautiful. God did through Jesus. So when God sees you now, for those of you that are in Christ, he can't help but be overwhelmed because he sees who you are, the real you through Christ. And the problem today is 
we stay here. I want to, this is going to be harsh, so forgive me. You're like, you already talked about money, Darren. Don't get harsh. <laughs> no. Maybe it's the day quill talking, so here we go. <laughs> if you don't get who you are, you'll be a surfboard made for a museum. But you were made for the waves. You were made for fun. You were made to surf and be in waves and enjoyment and function out of who you are. This is what it means to be a work of art, to have beauty in the Hebrew sense. When God, um, in Genesis chapter 1, when God creates humanity and he says it's very good, every time he says it's good, that word good in Hebrew is connected to the word beauty in Hebrew. Beauty in the Hebrew mindset is something, something functioning out of its intended purpose. So if we stay in the space of insecurity, I'm not enough. I'm never going to be what I'm supposed to be. I'm still, if we stay not believing the things that God has said, that you are saved, that you have been made for good, that you are a work of art, that you are more than a conqueror, that you are co-heir with Christ, that nothing can separate you from the love of God, that you're, as far as the east is from the west, he has, he, has, he has separated your transgressions, that you have been saved through Jesus on the cross. If you don't believe it, you'll stay in our circle of communities in the church today looking to be filled up in your identity. You will go into every environment wanting to figure out who you are. This is who you are. Now that you know, be it. What are you made for? Good works. He says, you're not saved by works. You're saved for works. The word good works in Hebrew is mitzvot. Mitzvot. And it means good deeds and commandments. How do you obey the 613 commands? The Hebrews said, through good works. And so all of the scriptures in the New Testament, you have this, this polling from um, what, what Paul's getting at, because he's, he's Hebrew. He's, he thinks Jewish like a rabbi. How do you fulfill the commands of the Old Testament by walking with God through good works? Little tiny deeds of caring for the poor, caring for your neighbor, taking care of your mom, taking care of your sick kids, your spouse, little tiny good deeds. So Paul takes this word mitzvot, which is the entire um, summary of how you fulfill the Old Testament, and he applies it to the church. You have been made fashioned to a piece of art for the sake of the world. So do you see how crazy it is when we try to escape it? Do you see how crazy it is when we think, well, we just got to pull everything. Our lives have to be completely isolated from it. You are designed for it. Yes, you will be persecuted. And we will. In my, I, I can't believe how fast things are going. We will be seen as archaic, barbaric for our beliefs in the next several years. This isn't some conspiracy radio show QAnon. This is the reality of the trend of where it's going in the United States. Beliefs that are biblical will no longer be allowed to be preached. We will be cut off from YouTube and social media. I see it coming. What do we do? Good works. We quietly serve as we are persecuted. This is why Hebrews 10 verse 24, check this out. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Spur one another. Like encourage each other for the good stuff. Like we, someone has a baby, there should be two months of meal train. Someone's sick, you show up to their house with stuff. When, someone, when you know someone's going through financial crisis, you give. That's just what we do. This isn't something like, let me get on the email chain and figure out how to go through a class. No, 
You are a piece of art. Be it. <laughs> Almost, yeah, so, okay. James 2, I need to go quickly. It's 11.34. I love what he says here. He says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? That's that word, good, good works, mitzvah. Can such uh, faith save them? And writing this, he says, like, even, even demons have faith, basically, and they shudder at Jesus. How do you live this out? Matthew 25, whatever you did for the least of these. My favorite when it comes to good deeds is 1 Peter chapter 2. Check this out. It says this. Uh, live such good lives among the pagans that they accuse you, that though they, though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Keep, keep that up there for, for a second. So when Peter writes this, he's writing to a church in Rome who at the time has an emperor named Nero. Nero would dress up in lion's outfits. His nickname for Christians, by the Christians, were the, the beast, also by Romans. He was called the beast, just so you know. First century context, we know this in the 60s, um, uh, that Nero dressed up as the beast and nibbled on captured Christians and lit them on fire to light up his summer parties. That's what was going on when he writes this context. The emperor, the beast, is killing Christians in playful ways that are torturous, and the response by the lead apostle is to live such good lives that when they throw you into these places and they begin to kill you, your lives will glorify God. Not your posts that challenge government. That's fine. Not your angry emails to the board of directors or whatever it is. No, no, no. Your life will bring evidence and glory to God. Good deeds. How do you do this? A million different ways through secrecy. Brothers and sisters, you are fashioned into a piece of art. This is who you are. You are God's masterpiece for the sake of living it out bringing that image of Christ's redemption everywhere you go. So yes, you're going to serve your neighbors. You're going to give financially to those in need. You're going to do prayer walks. You're going to foster care and adopt. You're going to go to COA in downtown, church, uh, Christian outreach and action, and you're going to serve the least of these. Yes, homelessness is getting worse in our city. It's getting worse everywhere. It's terrible. It's frightening. My kids have had horrible experiences, but that doesn't mean we're running from it. We are part of the solution. We have to be a compassionate ministry everywhere we go. We do laundry love. We, we serve people in moments of crisis. We welcome people who are different to, than us through hospitality. We watch somebody's kids because parents need a date night. We help, amen, help clean the garage. We build relationships. We serve all over the place. As Martin Luther says, God does not need our good works. Our neighbor does. So that's all I want to say. As a church, God needs to speak to you about your identity. But at some point, maturity, you're going to grow up and recognize, yep, this is who you are. You are God's favorite. Great. Now do something about it. Live in response to what God's done every day, you every, everywhere you go, to everyone you meet. Amen? Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit garden.church.